Today on Baseball Biz, we're very fortunate. We have Mr. Tim Neverett. He's an announcer for the Dodgers. He's also recently written the book, COVID Curveball. And he, he'll share some of his insights with us here in just a minute. So let's get started. Welcome to Baseball Biz. I'm Mark Harbert, your host. And with me today, I have Mr. Tim Neverett, who is the Dodgers play-by-play announcer and a lot more than that. Tim, I see, I know he. you've also been your professor in uh, sports communication at Emerson College, I believe. You've come up with announcing not just pop-up out of the air with the Dodgers, but, but also with like the Pirates and the Red Sox, a lot more before that. So without further ado, welcome, Tim. How you doing, man? Good, Mark. Thanks for having me today. I appreciate it very much. Well, it's a pleasure, brother. I mean, I just finished reading up your book, COVID Curveball, and man, it took me back. I mean, it's only been a couple of years, but it refreshed my mind about all the things were happening happening at that time and the deeper insight that, you know, you give about that. When all of this first started, it's like a whole other world. I mean, you talk about the bubble that all of us had to live in, but when did you, as an announcer, when did COVID first touch you in your job? What did you discover? What happened? Well, it was, I think the day that it shut down when baseball shut down because, uh, you know, we're in spring training in 2020 and we just finished a game with the Padres over in Peoria. And I had like two days off or something. So I, I drove up to Vegas to visit with my son and a good friend who was there. And uh, we were at the Pac-12 basketball tournament. Ah. And we had heard about the thing with uh, Rudy Gobert and the Jazz earlier in the NBA, considering shutting things down. And so then the Pac-12 said that this would be the last game they'll have with fans. They were planning on playing the next day without any fans there. Those games never happened. Um, because, you know, the, the next day we were at lunch uh, with, a, with a couple of friends and uh, started getting all of our phones were blowing up. Right. And we we're getting all these messages. Hey, this is done. You got to head. You got to head out tonight. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm in Vegas. I got to drive back to Glendale, uh, Arizona. And, uh, but I did that. That took four and a half hours. And then I flew out and as soon as I could. I packed up as much as I could from the condo I was staying in. And uh, that was when it first hit. And really, you know, we had so many unknowns at that point. So many. And, you know, now we know a lot more. But at that time, we had so many unknowns. We didn't know what this thing was or how it was going to affect people. And so I, you know, flew back east where I was living and got off the plane and spent the next couple of months in hibernation. Yeah. Didn't we all? And that was the things that never knew when we'd be able to emerge from that and, and what it was going to look like. Yeah. And it was going to be quite different. I, I know reading in the book, one of the things let's see, I was looking at uh, Mr. Mundy. <laughs> he came up with a rather uh, unique on-campus solution, didn't he? He did. And we would call it on campus, but it was also one of our best kept secrets uh, we didn't want to mention it because of the security situation. Now, Dodger Stadium's got 24-hour security, and it's it's pretty airtight uh, to get in. But it doesn't mean that somebody couldn't get in there. So we didn't want anybody to know where he was. Uh, living in the in the RV, uh, right in lot uh, was it lot E, I think E or F, um, little sliver of a lot that was uh, surrounded at the end by trees. So when we would sit there, we'd, he'd break out the lawn chairs and. It had a TV that he could swing outside. 
and a little uh, canopy cover. So when we would sit out there, it'd be like you're at a campground. I love it, man. You know, and, and the Dodgers ran electricity and water and internet out to him. And, and he liked it because it was private. Uh, there were certain drawbacks to it. You know, in other words, uh, the sprinklers would come on at 4.30 in the morning and sometimes at the side of the RV. Uh, there would be uh, raccoons or coyotes that would come up to the, to the area where he was. Uh, and then anytime there was a, a truck that was there backing up in the morning, he could hear it. Uh, but he liked it enough where during the 2021 season, he went back. <laughs> and a little a little bit of a side note there, that was when we started letting fans back in. And so he stayed. Uh, let's see, we started letting fans back in on June 15th. So he was still there another two weeks before moving out and, uh, and getting the RV back to its owner, who I ran into in Cooperstown a few weeks ago at the induction ceremony. And he told me that he sold the RV and I better let Rick. So I did. But uh, so it was really an interesting thing for him living in an RV in the parking lot of Dodger Stadium. And he was away from everybody and everything. And he enjoyed the peace and quiet. Now, did he broadcast from the RV or did? Uh, no, 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 no. No, I mean, you're you're a couple of steps away from gate D or not gate D, but the uh, lot D in the entrance on the third right. base side. So, no, we we broadcast from the booth. Uh, Charlie Steiner did not. He, even though there was nobody in the stadium, he stayed home, and they made arrangements for him to broadcast from his house. Wow. Um, uh, Rick and I went to the stadium where we had a set up there uh, for both radio and TV. So when I did tele when I did television, I'd be with Oral Hershey, so we'd be in our regular booth. But nobody'd be in the stadium except <laughs> when there was a home game. Oh man! Still no no fans. But for the road games, it was absolutely bizarre because now you're in a a Dodger stadium that after a certain time of the night just is totally pitch dark. Uh, and you're there in this booth and there might've been seven or eight of us entirely in the stadium. And when you left at night, it was kind of spooky. I mean, you didn't know who was going to, I had coyotes up near my car. Um, you know, and I used to think, Hey, this is great getting out of Dodger stadium. You can get out of here in three seconds because during the regular season, it's a very challenging traffic wise. And I kept thinking to myself, I would trade sitting in traffic for a half hour right now if we could end this thing, get fans back. Amen. You know, it's a great convenience to be able to get out of the stadium so quickly, but that's not really what uh, what we all wanted. Uh, but, you know, Rick and I didn't do it from the radio booth either. We did it from a suite, so we would have more room. They moved us into one of the bigger suites, and, and I would sit in the front row. He would sit about three rows back. So we'd be talking during the game and never even looking at one another. I mean, he could look down and see the back of my head. If I really wanted to make a point, I'd turn around and look at him. But, you know, so it was different in every way. Uh, just getting into the stadium, we had to fill out a, a, an app and then get our temperature taken. And, and, you know, we had to get tested all the time. And it was so, so different. You know, now we're, we're fairly back to normal, not hundred percent, but we're about as close to normal as I can remember. Well, it's quite a journey in the book. And I'm just going to stop here for a second and remind folks it's COVID curveball. And that's Tim Neverett. You know, when, when you read a book, when you read a play, or watch the movie, there's some things you look for. You look for colorful characters. You, you look for a, a theme. You look for a go and the, the journey to that go. And, you know, usually some adversity. I thought, 
wow, this has that, that and on. <laughs> and my gosh, the characters in here, when you're, you're involved in sports anyway, you're going to run into that. But good gravy, man. And you know, even just the people you're working with as far as announcing and doing the play-by-play and some of the most uh, simple things. I mean, as a play-by-play announcer, you have to track that ball. And from what I remember reading one of the stories, you've got all these daggone monitors around you and everything else to boot to the point where you can't see from the time it, you hear the crack of the bat to where it actually yeah. lands. Yeah, that's quite true. And, and you know, when people are watching the games at home, when, when the team is on the road or was on the road, we would be at Dodger Stadium. So we're seeing what people are seeing at home plus a few other uh, – Angles. We had like an all what we call the all nine, where you could see a, an overhead shot of everybody. Uh, we had the bullpen, so we could see if somebody was warming up, and then we had a, a camera focused on the scoreboard, so we could see the line score all the time. We knew how many mound visits were remaining. Uh, you could see that stuff, but you can only you only have two eyes to focus <laughs> on one thing. So, a lot of, oftentimes you have to take your eyes off the main monitor look at the all nine and see what the base runners were doing. And this cameras in a lot of places were so high that the base runners looked like little ants running around out there. You couldn't tell who was who. So it was difficult. But, but the main thing was uh, for me, I think for a lot of announcers that year was when you see the ball hit the bat, think about where the camera goes. It doesn't follow the ball up in the air. It follows the fielder. It shows the field. We can't see the ball. Right. You can't see it at home. We can't see it. So we're, we're judging by the fielder. And there was one instance in Arizona where it's a little funky out in center field. They've got a yellow line of demarcation of what's a home run and what isn't. Yeah. And it's a, it's really odd. It's the most odd center field in all of baseball. And uh, I think it was Matt Beatty hit one up there. It might have been even last year. Maybe it was last year. We're, we're still in the same boat in 2021. We didn't travel. But the ball came down at such an angle and then hit something and bounced up. I thought it was a home run, but it hit just below the yellow line. And on the steel beam, there was a little, uh, a little seam that stuck out and it hit that and bounced up. So, you know, things like that, you can't tell. And I think the one in the book I I used as an example was against the angels where Mike Trout hit a ball to center field. AJ Pollock was in center field. He goes back. He he goes back like he's going to catch it. And then he just kind of puts his head down. The ball's like, 40 feet over his head up into the batter's eye we have no idea so you couldn't call home runs with conviction now that we're back seeing the games on the road we're back in the stadiums and you can tell yeah you know typically you can tell right off the bat whether the ball's gone or not or has a chance to get out so it makes the call that much better and decisive where the people at home can't really tell because they're seeing a different thing and on radio they don't see anything. Of course, nothing happens until you say it does when you're doing radio. So you can get away with a little bit more than you can on TV because they can see it. But it was just so different. And, you know, then, the, you know, the Dodgers, as well as a lot of teams, they kept their broadcasters home in 2021. So we had the same scenario uh, in 2021 where we were doing the games from the ballpark while the team was away. And now I got to tell you, I am so relieved to be going on the road. Uh, you know, I'm getting ready to, right now. Thursday, we leave to go to Miami and New York. It's so different in a good way to be there at the ballpark. It, it's it's night and day. Yeah, well, I'm glad to hear you're getting up like that, too. I know as a, somebody who was a fan watching the games and seeing 
seeing some, seeing folks that you know who are not at the game, but doing the best they can do to announce it with three or four screens in front of them. You know, early on before all this happened, I thought, well, I guess I'm just going to be watching Korean baseball for a while, and that's going to be it. But I was so glad we got something, and I'm glad to see some sense of normalcy coming back to all of this. But as an announcer, your job, does it directly, um, let me see, directly work with the front office? Are you guys independent of the front office? Oh, we we work for the ball club. That's right. And I think so, some people forget that. I'm sorry, go ahead. Not, not every team does it that way. Most teams do. Yeah. And I'm thankful that the Dodgers do because the Red Sox didn't. And that's why I'm here with the Dodgers. <laughs> because uh, when I work for the Pirates, I work for the team. And it's it's a 100% better employment situation when you work for the ball club. Uh, so, yeah, we're we're involved with the team. They do sort of leave us on an island a little bit. You know, let us do our jobs. Um, you know, if we see something that's not right, yeah, we got to call it out because we have a credibility issue to maintain, too, as announcers, you know, with the fans, listeners right. and viewers. Uh, you know, you guys try out for the fifth time in a game you can't say boy he came close that time what a great swing oh. you know you can't be like that you have to identify hey he's having a problem today uh so we don't get uh i've never been told once what to say what not to say which is great but we are uh, uh i guess you could say intertwined with the front office because they employ us yeah and, and the thing about it too is i guess they also help as far as coordinating travel and that sort of thing and and especially what during COVID season that had to be critical to have somebody to help coordinate as far as your travel as well. Well, we didn't have any, so that was easy. <laughs> so yeah, they just said, Hey, stay put, you get, you come to the ballpark and go home and that's it. Oh. And that was pretty much all we were allowed to do. Uh, this year we had a, we had a little COVID outbreak in the broadcast area where several of us tested positive, including myself be between games of a doubleheader. I had no symptoms whatsoever. I had, I, I didn't know it. They would just say, hey, we need you to come up and test between games. Myself and one of the TV announcers, neither of us had symptoms, but we both tested positive. I made them test me again. And then they kept everybody off the following road trip to Philadelphia and Washington. And uh, that was the only real hiccup we've had wow. uh, in terms of travel and whatnot. But, you know, back to traveling this year, you know, we have a director of team travel who is second to none. He's one of the best, if not the best in the business. And uh, he makes it really easy for us. Just tells us what time to be there and don't have to worry about a thing. So, Talking about the travel is one thing, too. And I was mentioning earlier, colorful characters. And I'm thinking of the fifth game of the 2020 season. And I'm thinking of Mr. Joe Kelly. <laughs> and my gosh, man, that was, that was something. I, I know you, you go through it pretty well in the book. Can you get a kind of some rundown what happened during that game once Joe Kelly came in? Well, I think I, I in the book I put some things in there that I don't think any Dodger fans had, were thinking about or even thought about because his history with the Astros runs a little deeper than just the Astros, uh, you know, situation with the Dodgers in the World Series in 2017. It goes back because Joe was involved when he was with the Red Sox in a game in 2017. Uh, that Chris Sale had started, and Chris Sale was absolutely dominant that year. His slider was unfair. Nobody could hit it. But for some reason, the Astros didn't swing at any sliders that day. And we found out, you know, later as to why. But it, you know, Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, um, 
I'm trying to think who else. I mean, they, they kept, they, they had back-to-back home runs. Altuve had three home runs in the game. And any major league hitter will tell you, hey, if I know fastball is coming all the time, I'm going to have a pretty good chance. Yeah. So anyway, Chris Sale, had, he, he was shaking his head. I think he still has PTSD from that outing. Um, and then Joe Kelly came in in relief. And then when Joe found out about all this stuff later, he's like, yeah, we were victimized too, but no one ever talks about it. No one ever thought about it because it was in the division series. It wasn't in the world series and it was on the American league side. And, you know, the Dodger fans, they still let the Astros players who are elsewhere and they come into Dodger stadium. They, they still let them know they remember. And when the Astros are here, boy, do they let them know that they remember. Uh, but, you know, when, when Joe is, is in the game, He's interesting. When I was with him with Boston, he got into uh, he got into it with one of the Yankees, and and uh, he, he hit a guy, and the, this guy challenged him, and Joe's like, "Bring it on!" And then they had a big thing, all you know, the T-shirts and the bumper stickers. It was called Joe Kelly Fight Club. Yeah, and you saw him <laughs> all around Boston, and even in my neighborhood, it was slapped to a stop sign, Joe Kelly Fight Club, uh, no matter where you were. But he became a, an instant folk hero here in uh in la because of the way that he treated the astros but people don't realize it wasn't just because he was sticking up for the dodgers it's because he was involved in something himself uh that same year but just earlier in the postseason yeah i, I love uh, joe kelly i think did something that all the fans from 29 other teams wanted to do whether that was intentional or not that ball hitting one of the astros and I think a lot of us took a little sigh of relief and said, oh, okay, that's been done. Now that's, that's one check mark because yeah. the Astros weren't going to be going into any arena with booze coming from, you know, the stadium. They're going to be, all they're going to hearing is the piped in uh, crowd period. If, if that, yeah. so that was something in itself. I was really excited about that. You know, but the, I think looking back to you mentioned talking with Alex Cora when you were with Boston, and he alluded to something that from his history with the Astros, he's, you asked him how, how he was going to prepare for them. And what did he say? Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't think much of it at the time. But when the story came out that November, I was sitting at my kitchen counter uh, on the just reading stories on the Internet. And I went, oh, my goodness. Now I know what he meant. I mean, it was the instant thought. Because what I was doing the radio pregame show for the Red Sox uh, during the postseason. This was the American League Championship Series. And so I think it was game one. And I went in and said, uh, you know, he just finished his TV meeting. So I was the last guy to go that day. And I went in and uh, I said, all right, what what can you take out of being their bench coach, you know, last year to now being the manager and facing them in the American League Championship Series? And he said, those guys over there know that I know what they do. So they can't do what they, what they usually do. And I'm thinking, okay, what is it? Sign stealing, you know, like the old fashioned way, or is it what? I, I just thought, okay, it's just baseball, baseball stuff. Right. But then when I saw the story break in the athletic that November, I went, that's what he meant. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's what he meant. And he paid a price because he got suspended okay. for a year. Yeah. Um, and I thought, and I said to my wife right away, I go, he's going to lose his job over this. You watch. And fortunately the Red Sox hired him back. 
after he served his, his one year suspension. But um, yeah, he knew he was trying not to tell me, you know, he's trying to tell me without telling me. Right. But I didn't get it at the time. And it just took me a little while. Then I figured it out. And uh, it was just, uh, it was amazing to hear it out of his mouth. <laughs> but I, I know exactly it. the trash can they're talking about. You know, the other thing about the Astros is I hope someday this, this dies down in, in a way because Look, they brought in Dusty Baker. Dusty Baker brings the Astros into Dodger Stadium. And he gets booed. I'm like, this guy's a former yeah. Dodger great and a World Series champion, and he's a he's a great ambassador for baseball. He's probably a Hall of Famer. I think that uh, there was one guy who could have taken over the Astros and settled things down and got back to the business of baseball. It's Dusty Baker. Yeah, and he had nothing to do with 2017 at all. But I think he's done an amazing job. I mean, especially everywhere he goes, he gets booed. For what? You know, it's something he had nothing to do with. No, I, but I think at the same time. But this, but the players, you know, the Minnesota Twins were in not too long ago. Carlos Correa, who's now with the Twins, uh, was in the middle of it. You know, there's other, you know, the Dodger fans really let him hear it. Um, eventually, the, those players will retire and eventually this will die down and they'll say, hey, remember way back when? But for now, it's just, it's it's more of a fans thing. And kind of a funny thing about the Astros is last year, I actually filled in on two games for the Astros on radio because one of their announcers got COVID and they were coming to LA and I happened to be off the schedule that homestand. And I got a call from my boss saying, Hey, we're going to loan you out. If you're, if you're okay with it, we're going to loan you out to the Astros for two games. And I said, you sure you want to do that? And he said, yeah, it's no problem. We don't care. We're fine with it. He goes, you know, they do the same for us if they had a problem. And so I actually worked two games for the Astros last wow. year and nobody in LA ever mentioned it. So I was like, Oh yeah, good. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's fine. Let, let's let that one fly. Wow. Yeah. You know, talking about the cast and the, I mean, Dusty Baker, come on boys and girls. Like you said, the history of what that man's achieved. And we threw so much at Hinch and Cora and even Dusty, but, we never really threw anything as far as penalties toward players. But I'm not going to go down that route except to say that there was a bit of duplicity about how things got done. But when looking for a bright light in 2020 as Dodgers, I look to Mookie Betts. That man is amazing. Yeah, he is. He's as good a person as he is a player. Um, he has really entrenched himself here in L.A. He loves it. Uh, L.A. loves him back. <laughs> And I, I knew they would. I, I mean, I knew, having been with them for uh, three years in Boston, I, some of the people I talked with out here, they said, what do you think of Mookie Betts? I go, this town's going to be in love with them in about five minutes. And they have been. And I see more Mookie Betts game jerseys around town than anybody else's. And people love the guy. He's such a good player. Uh, he can impact the game from the first at bat. You know, he's got so many leadoff home runs. He's like 12th all time now. Uh, in leadoff home runs. He's not going to catch Ricky Henderson, I don't think, but uh, I, I enjoy watching what he does at the plate. I enjoy watching what he does on the base paths. I enjoy watching what he does in the field. And now, you know, he's really got his voice because, you know, when he was with Boston, he was a younger player. He would look up to the veterans like Hanley Ramirez and David Ortiz and players like that. And now he is one of those players that the young guys look up to. And for him to be the spokesperson at the All-Star game, the, you know, the, the happy birthday Rachel Robinson piece they did, which was really nice. I mean, for, you know, Mookie to be the guy out front and outspoken on other issues, I, I think it's great because 
He's found his voice. Um, he's well-liked everywhere, and he's one of the great faces of baseball that we have. Well, not knowing the man, I always saw him as being rather humble but ultra-talented. But obviously, he's he's more than able to get up in front of people and speak. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was the 2021 spring training season. And didn't he speak out to the whole team? I think he asked Kershaw if he could go ahead and take the lead for speaking out to the team. Well, he did that uh, when he first arrived in 2020. Oh. oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. He did that when he first got on the scene because remember, the Dodgers lost to the Red Sox just a few months earlier in the World <laughs> Series. Yeah. And so Mookie was quite familiar with the Dodgers and their personnel. And so now he wants to he wants to be a leader and he's he's earned that right. He was the biggest offseason get anybody's had in a long time. So he uh he he said, Do you mind if he went to Kershaw and he said, Do you mind if I talk to the team? And he talked to him and he said, Look, I know why you didn't win last year. And this is why. And this is how I think we can win this year. And he was right, and they did. So uh, you know, that resonated, I think, with a lot of veterans like like Kershaw and like Justin Turner and, uh, you know, guys like that. They really respect him. And he never stepped on anybody's toes. He never came in here and beat his chest and said, this is my team now. He wasn't like that. Right. And he has never been like that. He's been very respectful of the people who came before him. And he said, look, I want to win. I want to come here. I want to win. I want to help you guys win. I want to be a big part of it. But, I, you know, but I'm not saying this is my team. It's not like... You know, sometimes you see an NBA veteran get traded and he shows up in a town and admit my team now. No, it doesn't work that way with Mookie Betts at all. He's just such a gentleman and, and an ultimate pro. That says a lot. Now, I always look for those guys when we can find them. It's great. I can tell you, uh, as a fan of the uh, <laughs> of the Tampa Bay Rays, watching him at the Trop one time out there in right field for the Red Sox. And he's scampering out there to get that ball. And I'm looking at Wilson Ramos, and Wilson is making the bases. Wilson's going to third. It's solid. He's going to get there. But, my gosh, the arm of Mookie Betts, he got that all the way back from that corner in right field, all the way over to third base. And, my gosh, if Rays fans didn't stand up and applaud that that play, as much as we Mm -hmm. see Wilson Ramos get thrown out, it was just spectacular. I actually remember that play, and I also, uh, in 2020, he did it again in Arizona. Same thing, ball in the right field corner. Uh, I'm trying to remember who was running. Might have been, I don't know, I, I think I've got it in the book, but uh, I'm trying to remember who it was. Who was Ketel Marte was running, and, and Marte had most, I tell you what, uh, 31 times out of 32, that is a triple for Ketel Marte. But Betts got it in the corner, wheeled and fired a strike to third. And Corey Seager was, uh, uh, had to be out of position, the shortstop. He had to cover. And he caught it and tagged him in the same motion. And he was out. And I said, I've seen this play before. And, you know, Mookie's, Mookie's got some incredible skills. He's thrown out a number of guys this year, too, already. And every time that happens, I always say on the air, don't run on Mookie. <laughs> what, what don't you understand? Don't run on the guy. He'll throw you out. It's just, I've seen it many, many times, and uh, I'll see it many more times, I'm hopeful. Well, kind of getting to ramping a few things up, There's you go through the full history of the year. You you give us game by game, and you're giving us color of what's happening, not just with that game, but the people that are involved with it, the history of that. And as you get us, you take us all the way through to the World Series, and there I am as a 
Tampa Bay Rays fan, <laughs> game five and game six. And you make a very interesting assessment when you're talking about, you know, Dave Roberts and some of the things he was doing in games five and six. Was it uh, game five? That was Kershaw, right? I believe so. Yeah. And his strategy, if I remember correctly, was we're going to take you out after 21 hitters, whatever it was. He had a deadline on it. But Kershaw in two pitches had two guys out. And that got it. You know, if Dave Roberts didn't stay the course. So Kershaw understood it. And that happened. But the next game, game six, he goes with this guy. You know, he doesn't just say, I'm going to pull Urias out of this. He's going to go ahead and keep him in there. You know, and that's a gutsy move. <laughs> yeah. Well, he went with the hot hand. And that's, you know, he had changed up how they were using Julio in the postseason. And then he did it in the NLCS. And then game six of the World Series had a chance to wrap it up. But, you know, if you rewind it just a little bit further, the most 2020 thing about the COVID season happened in game six where Blake Snell's dominating, right? He's dominating. This is game six of the World Series. It's not game six in April, okay? This is game six of the World Series. And this is where, you know, I think the Tampa Bay Rays made their biggest mistake. They stayed with the analytics. They said, nope, third time around the order, not going to happen. And Mookie Betts was in the on-deck circle. I remember his quote after the game saying, they're taking him out? Yeah. All right. So they took him out, and six pitches later, six pitches later, they had the lead in the World Series in hand. And that was the thing, and and, and that was one part of it. The other part was that Justin Turner had to be removed because the word came back from the lab in Utah that he had an inconclusive test. And they had to get him out of the ballgame. But that happened after Blake Snell left. So a guy with a positive test – stays in the game longer than a pitcher who's dominating due to analytics. That was the most 2020 thing about 2020, I thought. And that was such a huge moment when the Rays decided to take Blake Snell out. I still think, you know, I, I can't speak for Blake, but I know as a competitor, as if it were me, again, I'm not talking for Blake, but if it were me, I would have been in an unforgivable situation. Like, how can you do this? Yeah. They can't hit me. I don't care what time, what, what time around the order it is. They can't hit me. And so that I think had everything to do with the world series wrapping up and think about this. Let's say they left him in and let's say the Rays win that. When would game seven have been? Because at the time, if there was a COVID positive person on the field, they were shutting things down. Would there have been coach champions? Would they have brought everybody back for one winner-take-all game? So it was actually probably a very big relief privately to to Major League Baseball that the World Series ended that night instead of uh, having a Game 7 as who knows when that would have been. I imagine Rob Manfred wiped his brow and went, man. Yeah, (laughs) I think he did. Yeah, that that was something I can tell you as a Rays fan, just screaming and crying, jumping up and down on the couch, just like Tom Cruise when I was – saw cash pull with Blake and I was like, good Lord, Blake tried to be the gentleman when it came to the press and all that, but she knew it just ate his insides out. You know, I was already saying, okay, Blake's going to go on and we'll see Charlie Morton on. He'll take the mound, you know, from game seven. And, yeah. and, and it worse the way things are going. I said, well, never mind. doesn't matter. <laughs> it's history. And I love the game first and foremost. Uh, uh, 
these things happen and you have to think beyond strategy sometimes. It didn't happen that time for us, but certainly did for the Dodgers. So looking right now, here we are in 2022. It's August 23rd. What's going to happen in the National League, the NLCS? What's that going to look like? How's that going to play out? Well, we might get a preview of it this weekend because uh, the Dodgers will, will head to, uh, not this weekend, but next week, head to Miami for a four-gamer, get a wraparound series there that ends on Monday, and then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday next week. Uh, it's in New York against the Mets. That could be a preview. The Braves are playing really well right now. Central division, I don't know, the Cardinals could be a sleeper. They're getting great. I mean, Albert Pujols has been born again, uh, and they've got the MVP in, in, in uh, Goldschmidt. So, um, I, I don't know. I, you know, it, it's baseball, right? It's baseball. And, and keep in mind, we have a new playoff format this year where more teams are in. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're going to see some surprises, uh, probably, my guess would be. I just hope, you know, the Dodgers aren't the ones that get surprised. I think the way it's going, though, is that the Dodgers will be able to skip the wild card round, which would be great. Uh, you'd hate to have a season like they're having and then have to go play in a wild card round and maybe lose two out of three. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, if you're in a seven game series, you lose two out of three. It's a lot more forgiving. I think that, you know, the Dodgers will, will probably get home field throughout. That's what they're playing for right now. And if that's the case, get like their chances um, of, of you know, hosting the, the important games and the division series and get past that, the NLCS, get past that, the World Series. I mean, they, in, in L.A., it's World Series or bust. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've been, I, I've, you know, when I was in Pittsburgh, it was, hey, let's go 81 and 81. If we can go 81 and 81, that's great. We don't have a losing season. And that's, <laughs> that's the attitude that, like, mm, you really don't want to have in this game. But, you know, in, in L.A., if you don't win the World Series, it's not a successful season. Yeah. Our expectations are high. Well, I guess another team that actually started out from New York years ago has a New York attitude about win all or die. You know, I mean, it, yeah. it seems like that sometimes. I don't know. But I see you guys having a fantastic season. I'm looking forward to seeing how the rest of that comes out. I'm trying to get my Tampa Bay Rays to get up there. There's They're eight games back. I don't know that anybody's going to crawl up and grab the Yankees just yet. Now, you, what I think you're uh, the guy behind you is seven, 17 or 18 games back right now. So the mm -hmm. Dodgers that's secure and it's just a matter of wild card for us. Um, you know, trying to find comfort these days, it's, it's difficult. And uh, I said one last thing, but I want to ask you, do you still have your dog Reggie? Do absolutely. How is it? What, his nice He's chocolate lab? Going to get his nails clipped right now. <laughs> so at the end of the day, whatever happens with the, the game or the team, or you actually have Reggie to come home to, right? Yeah. And it's makes you forget about everything because he's got such a fun personality and he's he's such a good dog. We'd take him out in the, right right in downtown LA because we live down not too far from the ballpark, but we can walk anywhere with him without a leash, even in the city. He's just uh, we we were lucky to get him and uh such a great, great dog and he does. He, he makes every day better and makes everybody forget any problems you have. Because um, he just looks at you and says, hey, what's wrong? Nothing's wrong here. So, I don't know. It's good to have him, but he's, you know, he's an everywhere dog. He goes, he, he climbs mountains with us. He swims. He kayaks. He does everything we do. So, he's pretty wow. pretty special dog. I'm glad you got him there. He's like a great friend with a dog like that. So, congratulations. Um once again, we're speaking with Tim Nevert from the Dodgers as announced play-by-play -play and also the author 
of the book, COVID Curveball. You know, going through the 2020 season of the Dodgers and what a great way of doing it. Brings up old memories and gives us some details that a lot of us either for, forgotten or thought, hmm, so that's why that happened. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, too, Mark, I think people would really enjoy the foreword that Oral Hershiser wrote because he takes you back to what's in his mind in 1988 when he's on the hill getting ready to throw the last pitch of the World Series. There's not a lot of guys who've thrown the last pitch of the World Series. We've got two of them in our organization, Julio Rios and and Oral Hershiser. And so he kind of takes it and bridges 88 to 2020 and and really gives the the reader a really good idea of what, uh, you know, what was going through his mind at the time when they beat those powerful Oakland A's teams, uh, that team in that year. Um, And, you know, how it all worked out. I I think that um, if you're a baseball fan, that, you know, I think it sets the tone right away that with what Oral wrote, I think it sets the tone for, uh, you know, some good stories in the book. And I think there's a lot of things about that season that I'm sure people forget. There was some civil unrest going on in the United States that summer, which caused the, you know, boycotting of games. I mean, people remember that part of it. Uh, So there was, uh, that was quite a year. No doubt about it. Well, you chronicled it. You chronicled it very well, and uh, certainly Mr. Hershiser as well. I was, for a while, I thought I had two great books in front of me. I thought I wanted more of him as well. When I was reading his portion of the book, so both of you have done a great job. And I, I can't thank you as much uh, as a fan as well as somebody who's enjoying baseball overall. Tim, just great things are happening. Uh, looking for your team. Looking forward to see what comes uh, with the rest of the season, my friend. Well, thank you very much, Mark. I appreciate it. All righty. All right, man. We take good care. Enjoy the rest of your day. All right, Mark. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. You've been listening to Baseball Biz. That was Mr. Tim Nevert, who's the announcer for the Dodgers and also author of COVID Curveball. Hope you've enjoyed the show. If you have, go ahead and make sure you like us, subscribe to us, review us, whatever. You can always reach us at Twitter at the Baseball Biz, and you can find Baseball Biz on podcast directory everywhere, including. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, we're everywhere. Well, we look forward to talking to you guys again real soon. Special thanks to XTechRUX for the music rocking forward.